Welcome to the Inner Huddle, the podcast for parents and coaches to help children fulfill their potential both on and off the pitch. Hello and welcome along to Series 2, Episode 6 of the Inner Huddle. It's a little bit different today. I literally have got Jeff as my right-hand man um, and we've got Betsy somewhere remote. And we're doing it via Zoom, so hopefully the technology will work. This episode, if it works, is sponsored by SR Health, Safety and Engineering Limited. And if it doesn't work, then no one will ever know. How are we doing, guys? <laughs> I'm good, Pez. I'm coming to you from inside the ether. Um, oh. I'd like to say I was somewhere glamorous, like the Caribbean, and I just couldn't make it. But um, I'm somewhere just outside of Southampton. <laughs> We're in the usual place. We've just moved things around, and as usual, we've had uh, technology problems trying to get microphones to work through Zoom. Absolute nightmare. If anyone's an expert, please get in touch because um, we're used to this, aren't we, Jeff? Very. It's just strange being able to see yourself as well. I know it? it's really weird, yeah. um, but we'll give it our best shot. It reminds me of going back to uh, the pandemic time <laughs> when we used to do a lot of Zooms, didn't we, Jeff? Not sat next to each other. Not sat next to each other. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely not. Right, as usual, we have got uh, a series of questions in front of us. I have 10. It might be that we can't get through them all, but we will try. And as always, we'll try and do them uh, some service and add some value to our answers. And I think we should just crack straight on in, don't you, Jeff? Am I asking the first one? Yeah, because it's a long one. It's a long one. Okay. Right, question number one. My six-year-old recently got scouted for a professional club whilst playing in a tournament. The scout has asked three of the players, including my son, to attend a training session. The two others are going, but we, his parents, are worried that he's too young. We want him to simply enjoy playing football without any pressure. However, we are concerned that he might not get another opportunity. What are your thoughts? You look straight to me. Well, I asked the questions. Okay. Um... I think this is definitely a Betsy question. I'm like, like batting it across, don't I? Um, it's cricket season. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I put what you're concerned and what you're concerned about. And then I would just think it would be really good if Betsy could talk about how this could maybe be framed in a way that doesn't put any pressure on a child that might want to go across and give this a try and enjoy the experience yeah that would be great because this happens a lot especially with the players that we coach at Pezzers. Uh, they get to a level they um, start standing out in their matches and tournaments and they often get scouted for want of a better phrase um, and I've never really known that I can think of a parent uh, turn the opportunity down although Charlie Webster's parents didn't they it was Charlie, when Chelsea first came in for him, but then three years after that, did then decide that the time was right. Um, but usually, most parents think that they are going to miss out and, uh, and will take their children along just to see what it's all about. So um, is there a good way, Betsy, that this can be framed where it doesn't put pressure on the child? Um, it's it's an interesting but tricky question. Six is very young, is my first instinct six is very very young and I think um this sounds really really negative but ultimately I think a six-year-old I don't know how you guys would 
would view this a six-year-old being scouted by a professional club or, or an academy or something like that doesn't actually mean very much to me and there's a there's a good chance that that child won't go on to play at, at any level or may go on to play at a really high standard it doesn't actually predict anything really so I think there is a pressure for the child I, I think asking the child how um do we know if it's a boy or a girl uh yeah, a boy asking the child is is probably a good place to start because if he's super excited and really wants to give it a go and has an enthusiastic attitude about it then actually just it, almost getting on board with that and encouraging it that way yeah this could be really fun um let's go and give it a try it doesn't matter if you don't like it you can leave at any time that kind of open openness if you're gonna if you're gonna put the child in that situation if your child is a little bit hesitant or you know thinks it's a really big deal and seems a bit nervous about it and things like that then then maybe reframing or using your judgment I guess pairs in your situation and not in your situation but the the situation you speak about Charlie Webster like you know what were his parents hesitant about and actually did some of that intuition then pay off in terms of it not being the right time so I guess as a parent don't ignore what your instinct might be telling you as well so I think gauging what you think the child's initial reaction is is probably a good place to start yeah I agree um I think the problem with it is as soon as you enter that rat race then there might be some pressure put on you especially as children even at this age do get released so I, I'm not exactly sure whether it's an official um, pre-academy development centre like we used to run Jeff I'm presuming it is um, we never released anyone from ours but then we were in complete control of who we brought in in the first place but at others where they might have a maximum of 30 to 40 children they they can bring in and the scouts are recommending players all the time then you bring them in have a look and if they're better than what you've already got someone goes um, so kids pick up on that and parents obviously pick up on that very, very quickly. And then suddenly the child's under pressure just through what the environment is and the situation is. Um, however you frame it up as being extra training or, you know, let's just see how it goes and it could be fun. That's great to start with. But when maybe one or two of those friends of yours that you've gone with suddenly get released, and you think, oh, it might be my turn next. Or if your friends stay and you're one that gets released, then it's going to be a very miserable um, experience for you. Personally, I think it's too young at six to um, to bother any sort of risk with any negativity towards a sport that they should be just enjoying and loving. Completely contradictory because we used to run one of these centres, didn't we, Jeff? But um have never released anyone never released so, anyone so yeah we we had a policy between ourselves that um we would only recommend children that we knew um and that um would get the most out of it for themselves wasn't it i think i think enjoyment has just got to be the the primary concern for a child at this age enjoyment is the biggest factor to consider so if the child's going to really enjoy going into that setting then yeah, maybe it is the right thing to do. And, and maybe that is great for the child's development and the child's social skills and, and everything else. But if the child's gonna enjoy it more being, you know, wherever he's playing 
you know, wherever he got picked up, if you like, then then I think that should be the priority, personally. Yeah, and I think by the sounds of it, the parents might have that gut instinct that it's not a great idea at the moment. And I would reiterate that there's no rush. But I think this fear of missing out, this FOMO is is a big thing, um, especially if the other two children seem to be doing great or you might see their parents putting something on social media with their kids in their brand new professional kit with the badge on and stuff. And it's always going to be that niggling feeling, oh, that could have been, could have been my lad. Um, mm. I think it's a, a really, really difficult situation. Um, I think if the hesitation from the parents is... Um wanting to take the opportunity while it's while it's here now because it may not come up again that would um i would say try and take that out of the equation because i think even in the last podcast we did which was what episode five or six oh, who knows? um who knows um i spoke about a player I... that i'd worked with in a in a premier league like b team who had actually only got scouted as such for that kind of arena uh you know, 17, 18 years of age. So I, I don't think there's, um, I don't think the the concern should be on maybe not getting seen again. Yeah, um, I I agree. It's um, No players slip through the net really anymore. So these chances are always going to be there all the way along. And if they don't come again, it might mean that it wasn't right to do it back then because they were never going to reach that level and so they would have been released and all that negativity would have come at some point. I mean, I think it's 99.83% or something um, will get released from a pro club. So statistically, your child won't be there for the whole journey. Um, so protecting them from that at a young age, I think, is is quite important. But if you are going to do it, then like you say, frame it as just a bit of extra training, a bit of fun something for you um to get something out of not for the club uh, try and reframe it like that that for want of a better expression you're using them they're not using you you know for some free training um and try and keep the pressure off all the way and things that we used to advise parents that came to our one Jeff. yeah i mean it shouldn't that process shouldn't even be an option for people to run something where there is no exit room is there if if you could try and find out what the process is going to look like over the next year or two and have some guarantees that it isn't going to be a if we find a better child that we think is a better player yeah. then then we're just going to release them because six years old sounds ridiculous doesn't it when you yeah. read it out loud i mean the, the, the scouts will do their best to only invite players in that um are of a standard but still there's only a limit of how many kids they can take in so if they're only allowed 40 children at their center and they've got 40 kids and the scout comes along with two other children that they've seen in the local league that are exceptionally good for whatever reason then kids are going to get released yeah i think what i'm saying is the owner should be on them to create extra sessions so, oh right somewhere so for them you shouldn't safety net yeah uh, that's not in our control is it no well i've always thought that clubs should look after maybe local leagues or they should even run their own leagues and then they can have a look at every single player whenever they like and don't actually need to take them out of their environment or they could have 
select matches or the occasional select training session where they would choose certain players to, to go training with them or play in a festival at the weekend and that could always change you have some good ideas sometimes I, don't you yeah i i try my yeah, best putting the world to rights um and and i think something like that could work the only way it wouldn't is say in our area where you've got a southampton and a bournemouth and even maybe chelsea and things and they their areas might overlap a little bit the which leagues were run by which clubs but i'm sure there could be a way where they're all involved um and Every, you know, to everyone's benefit and every player at a club rather than a club coming in and taking players away, going in and enhance what they've already got and do some coaching for the, the whole group in return for having first dibs, if you like, on these players when it comes to signing contract time. I don't know. I just think there could be a way of um, solving the problem or at least improving it. Wow. Right. Whew. Question number one done, I think, Jeff. Question number two. We're off and running. I'm considering paying for some one-to-one coaching for my 10-year-old son. Do you think they are worth it? Do I think your child's worth it or the other coach? <laughs> um, no, obviously they mean, um, do you think it's worth doing some one-to-one training? We both have done and do do occasionally one-to-one coaching, Jeffrey. So um, do you think they're worth it? I mean, <laughs> I've seen you do definitely, um, but this again, similar to the last question, almost. It, in my answer is, I, I think these things should be audited, and there should be some sort of coaching Ofsted or someone that can go governing around body. governing body. Well, there is a governing body for football, isn't there? But something that comes around this and, branch of it, for and then training. and and checks that it's doing what it's supposed to be doing and um and maybe given schools or so that parents have some idea about where's the right environment even for a one-to-one coach um and that would solve a lot of problems because uh, anybody could become a one-to-one private coach tomorrow and if they, they wanted do to. and we've yeah. seen a few recently haven't we advertised and crop up um and I'm sure if you dig a little bit deeper, a lot of these one-to-one coaches don't have proper insurance or qualifications. Um, some might have the basic level one and then think that they're, because you can apply for some insurance through the FA, can't you? But that doesn't um, cover private coaching sessions. And I don't think a lot of these coaches realise that. So if you're going to book some, find out if they are insured and what qualifications they've got. And, who they might have worked with in the past and who they're currently working with. Um, I've made some notes because it is something, as usual, I feel quite strongly about. Um, you have to be really, really, really careful. This might bring bits into it um, with one-to-one coaching because I found that as soon as you um, pay for sessions for your child and you're doing something extra, uh, you're in danger of your child thinking, wow, this has suddenly become serious. Where a sport that might have been really good fun, they just like playing with their friends, everything's going fine. They suddenly realise, wow, why am I getting extra tuition? Is it because mum and dad or both think it's much more important than I do and got really serious? Or do they actually think that I'm rubbish? Um, depending on their age, children can think that. So they might think, I'm getting extra training, 
because it means a lot to mum and dad and I'm getting extra training because I'm not actually as good as where they think I should be. And that can really affect um, them psychologically. In my belief, I mean, I'm not the resident sports psychologist here, Betsy, but from my, that's my cue. I um, I've I've seen it where suddenly they think, "Wow, this has all got a bit serious." I mean, kids have lots of activities and interests that they're involved with, and they don't get often private coaching for the other things, like I don't know, skateboarding, bike riding, computer games. Don't suddenly go right son or daughter i see you like skateboarding i'm going to get you some private sessions or i see you like Fortnite. i'm going to start giving you some getting to some private tuition on your computer games but suddenly with football it's like we need to get ahead of everyone else or we need to catch up to everyone else and it tends to be parents comparing their child to other children um, and either wanting to get ahead or catch up on the flip side though we've talked on other podcasts about competence breeds confidence yeah. and getting lots of repetitions in of working on the things and and really excelling at something might really help somebody if the one-to-one -one session is good i think the point is they have to be really really good yeah and they have not just at football and football coaching but they have to know um as much as possible about psychology and children's development not just football development um if you're just taking someone who's doing drills that they're copying off the internet um, and, and other things they've seen but they don't know why they're doing it and their language and praise isn't conducive to growing a growth mindset but maybe a fixed one it can be a very difficult situation that word? i don't know because if they're done really really well they're excellent um for technical training which is what it is for skills development skill acquisition and like you say, if you're getting competent with that, that's going to breed confidence, which will help you in your matches. But I think it's quite risky, especially if you don't know who you're uh, taking your child to. Let's just all go to you, Jeff. That's what I'm trying yeah, to say. I'm, I'm waiting for Betsy to unpick it. Up yeah, sorry, Betsy. I probably can't. No, I'm, I'm reluctant to. Normally, I just get in there, but I, d I don't want to um, create a little lag on the remote. Uh, as we're working or as I'm working remotely today um so I think I'm gonna I'm gonna do a Jeff here and say consider why like why why are you doing that as a parent why would you want to do that because that might unlock quite a lot just asking yourself that is it because you just want your child to be better or your child just wants to be better is it because there's an identifiable area that you're looking to work on that maybe is not going to get individual attention in a in a group training session in a club session wherever your child's playing so I think ask yourself why is it just because you want to maximize like how how good can we how good can we get our child here not not necessarily for your own game but for their benefit as well but but why would you do that and I think um Pez you sort of mentioned a parallel well you said the word tuition because I was thinking um this is like getting an extra tutor for maths or English isn't it why would you do that because the child's perception will be well, you know I'm not very good at maths so mum's had to hire me a tutor to come and work with me for an extra hour every week so I think be careful how how you're framing it if it's your choice or if it's um it might be coming from your child I don't know 
um, I think probably to consider framing it up as just more or a different quality of training if you're going to go down that road rather than it feeling like I think pairs you're spot on it, it I think it's a, there's a huge risk when you enter into one-to-one coaching that your child thinks well okay now I've now I've got to perform now I'm under a bit more pressure now it's got really serious now I'm expected to maybe um keep going from strength to strength and maybe you do take out a bit of the enjoyment so maybe consider age as well I'm not sure if we know the age of this um oh 10 year, 10 years old so still still pretty young um but if you're looking at really working on something um that's clearly identifiable like there's a particular skill that that your child's struggling with that's actually holding them back in their club setting then yeah maybe so that's my summary yeah I agree I was very negative I apologize for that when I first went in but I've I've seen a few horror stories over the years um, but I think you're right if um and I used to get it quite a lot if a child's struggling maybe with their weak foot um tends to be the left but not always then one-to-ones can be a good way of getting that extra training that not many managers are going to spend the time um, during their team sessions to help children with their weaker foot. Um, so that might be an angle, like I say, skill acquisition, fast feet. And there are loads of things you can do. I mean, we do do them and you know, have done for for many years, but we're always aware of the negative impact it, it has on a child. I mean, I've seen it before where a child's been, I don't know, I don't know what the right expression is. But everyone else in the team, including the parents, know that that child is getting extra tuition and their parents might be seen to be a little bit pushy. And then the other children want to show that they don't need extra tuition um, and they're better than this child. And it can just leave, I don't know, unnecessarily sometimes um, leave a bad taste. I don't know. It's... um, it's a very tricky one. I've said that twice on both questions now. It's a tricky one. Um, but yeah, I don't know, Jeff, anything else to add on that one? Just be very careful. I don't know if we've really answered the question, have we? Are they worth, well, like we said originally, check if they've got insurance and qualifications, who they are, that they're, you know, they're going to be safe. Um, and try and go, like Betsy said, with something specific in mind. Um, rather than just booking them for one-to-ones. I, I mean, we've heard it a lot, haven't we? When we've had them, we just want to improve their confidence and then they sort of leave it to us. Um, but uh, yeah, go with something a bit Could it specific. be a great opportunity for family members to get involved and not even call it extra tuition or one-to-one coaching and have siblings and mum and dad just go down the park and do what David Beckham's dad with David Beckham and stand there whilst he practices free kicks all day and it could be something that you could save yourself a few quid on couldn't it yeah we well, actually have a real bond if you find a good one-to-one coach it might be that you could go to them um do a session and ask what can my child do on their own or i can do with them and then you can just check in with a one-to-one coach every yeah. month or two months or something like that um try and get some good takeaways but if you think it's just a tick box that I'm doing everything I can for my child. They're getting extra tuition. They're in. They play Saturdays. They play Sundays. They play an elite league. They're getting extra one-to-one coaching. I'm doing everything I can. It's not going to be my fault if my 
kid doesn't make it or something like that. It's me being negative again. But um, yeah, don't use it just as that. But if it's, there's a real desired outcome, you find the right person. Happy? Look forward to seeing there, are you, Betsy? No? Um, no, I've just had a nice, strong coffee, so I'm all good, Pez. Good. Right. Is it me asking that? It's question number three. Yeah. Question You're number three. Numbers. I'm on odd numbers. Right. I love watching my son play football. I take him to every match and training session and stay to watch it all. I just wanted your thoughts as I'm concerned that I might not be giving him enough space. He's eight year old and seems to enjoy having me there. See, when I ask them, I just look straight at you, Jeff. Yeah, I think most eight year olds, their parents are there watching, aren't they? It's not like it's going to stand out. It tends to be as the child becomes 14, 15, 16, that you go to a sideline and there's one man and their dog, isn't it? Yeah. So I don't think. I don't know why an eight-year-old would be concerned about that um, and maybe ask them and keep an open dialogue as they go through their journey in youth football because um, that's what's going to matter the most. I think that's a great starting point. Ask your child whether they mind you being there uh, every match and every training session and, and go from there. Um, you, uh, you can be in danger of overdoing it and always being at training because the one day you're not your child might be looking for you and you might have become a bit of a comfort blanket um which you don't want to do and you don't want to be at risk of being sort of a helicopter parent when you're always there in case anything goes wrong or, and you might um subconsciously be putting pressure on the child um because uh, they don't want to make mistakes if you're always watching watching training um you've got to get the balance right because you want them to know that you care about their sport and the training's more important than the matches so you should come and watch a fair few training sessions as well but maybe not all of them maybe have a break and just say to your child i trust you to get on with it just it's your time not mine i'm going to drop you and go tonight or i'm going to go for a walk or i'm going to read a book but you know express yourself because a lot of parents when they're watching everything the children do feel like they're under pressure because they don't want to make mistakes in front of mum or dad and they're always looking for approval if, you know if they've done something well they'll look to see if their parents are watching or if they've done something what they see is wrong they look to their parents to see if there's any sort of reaction and it can become a bit much so maybe give them a bit of space it's a good point that one we have had lots of parents haven't we that stick their thumb up or their thumb down and um yeah i suppose if you are watching being conspicuous <laughs> yeah well we've had them i think we've mentioned on this where they um the, the parent will hold the water bottle so during water yeah. breaks um drinks breaks they'll go over there and they can get oh, you're doing really well tonight son or try doing this or make sure you get wide and get crosses in a box wherever it might be little not pep guardiola talks as <laughs> you said last time um so yeah be be careful and one big thing i would say is with parents that do watch training make sure you watch it all rather than just the match bit at the end so i see it a lot parents will drop the kids off they'll come over we'll do all the training a lot of ours was with a ball each um and the parents will be stood around chatting to each other or not really paying attention and as soon as we go into any sort of match or anything competitive bang all eyes suddenly turn and then 
what you're doing is you're subconsciously telling your child that you're not that bothered about the training, but you're only bothered about whether they're or, or how they're performing in the match and the competitive stuff. Um, when really it's training that's the most important bit. So I would say try and watch all the training if you can and show an interest in that because it's much more important than how they might or might not be performing in the match. I'm really interested in what Betsy thinks because I've heard you say this type of thing many times. Thousands of times before. I have, yeah. So I, I'm actually going to say something which probably goes against the grain of what you might expect me to say which is I'd actually be aware of what other parents are doing and although I'd normally say the opposite because we've we've spoken about comparison and how you shouldn't compare your child to other children and I guess that goes for your own you ha- your own behavior as well you don't want to necessarily just follow what other parents are doing but there's a relevance there if you are the only parent that is watching I'm using an extreme example, but if there's really not many parents or you're the only parent watching every training session, every game, then that then takes on a different meaning for the child. And that's where they might think, oh, you know, why is dad always here? Like, you know, the other parents aren't there or they might feel embarrassed about that or it might it might just give a different meaning. It sounds like this parent is doing what they're doing with really good intention so wants to be really supportive, but also wants to do the right thing if they are perhaps not giving their child enough space. So I think um, just consider what other parents are doing and how that might then um, impact how your behaviour is being viewed by your child. So not necessarily to just follow what other parents are doing, but just being aware that if it's against the grain a little bit, then it might take on a different meaning for your child. I, I hope that makes some kind of sense. It's perfect sense. Um, and in a lot of my sessions now, when we uh, train indoors, um, I don't let any parents in anyway, so I take it out of their hands, Betsy. Just make mm. it um, unless there is some sort of viewing gallery. But most of the halls I use, there's no really ac- access anyway. So if they did come in, it would be very cramped and the children would feel under pressure. And I want them to have a pressure free environment where their decision-making is not affected and they're free to express themselves. And I just find what I do and what I'm trying to achieve works much better when, sadly for them, sometimes parents aren't watching. And some of them take it really badly. They they don't like not watching the training, um, but they can all blame me, can't they, Jeff? Yeah, I actually put a bit of a shudder down my spine. Betsy said the only parent watching. I, I love my mum and dad to bits, but... My mum was the only person on the sideline watching. She would be a bit embarrassed. Yeah, that would be mortifying, I think. Yeah. Cool. So in answer to that one, maybe start by asking your child what they think. Um, Have a look around at what everyone else is doing and um, just be aware that you're not smothering them at all and not affecting any of their enjoyment and um, their decision-making on the pitch. They're playing without fear of failure. And probably be consistent with it and rather than but keep keep asking cool to you jeffrey question number four my son is fairly small and sometimes struggles in matches against the bigger faster players can you give me some advice to help him not lose confidence yes probably i can jeffrey i would have thought um 
I think if your child is a smaller player um, or uh, late maturer, as I think the expression is, um, then in my opinion, they need to make their technical ability their superpower. So they really need to double down on ball mastery and what they can do technically with the ball because they're not relying on um, speed, strength, power, and all those things that some of the other children might already have. And eventually, if they have a spurt and they catch up, they're going to be the same size or bigger than everybody else, uh, and they're going to be technically brilliant anyway. Um, so, yeah. Having said that, it's not any different advice I'd give to any player because I'd say you should all be working technically. Um, and sometimes what happens is the bigger, stronger players at that snap snapshot in time um, rely so heavily on their physical attributes that when other players start catching up, they really struggle and they reach a plateau, which can be very difficult sometimes for them to handle um, and for their parents to handle as well. So they've had a had a player that's um, excelled, shall we say because of these attributes and then suddenly they're not as far ahead seemingly as other players it can be a bit of a blow to them so I would say to bigger stronger players as well don't neglect your technical training um, because other players will catch up eventually I've just written down as you're talking Messi and Maradona and you can have two better role models for to show somebody what can be achieved even if you haven't got the size and the strength and the pace and the power maybe that the bigger stronger players have got and what the adversity that they probably went through for being the smaller players um, and coming out the other side of it um, just shows what can be done um, to the best players ever so yeah never forget that and i've said it already on this podcast many times it's the training that's the important thing as long as they're able to train well um, and they're getting a lot of training, don't get too frustrated about performance in matches because they're probably still getting a lot out of that being the underdog and trying to find different ways of using what they have got and trying to um, compete against um, bigger, stronger lads or lasses. Um, and I think they'll get maybe more out of it to a certain extent, but they might be getting less contact time with the actual ball. So you need to make sure that in training or on their own that they're actually getting a lot of contact time with the ball to improve their ability technically with their skill acquisition and decision making and things like that. What do you think? Very good answer. I'm interested in what Betsy's going to say to Yeah, she's sitting very patiently today, isn't she? I'm poised because I, I'm just aware that every time I speak, I think it will cut. I think it will cut out the recording of you guys. So I am. I'm waiting until called upon. So uh, I also wrote down two words, and that was Lionel Messi. <laughs> um, I think we've got some great role models in the game, um, both present and past. I guess of you know being smaller or having there's there's an array of players isn't there we're not talking about a sport like basketball where um typically you're going to be hugely at a disadvantage if you're not a certain height there's so many role models in football of different different body types different shapes different attributes um which i think is a good thing when you're 
perhaps talking to talking to or about a younger player who's maybe struggling with like how those attributes might be limiting factors through like their their play at the moment i think um so one example came to mind when pez you were saying about even stronger players or bigger players not neglecting technical attributes and i i actually think of my own experiences so when back in the day i won't reveal my age when i was playing um or like growing up playing netball i was really fast so i neglected probably some of the things i focused on because i could always beat everyone for speed so i didn't really need to worry too much about whether I, my positioning was spot on or whether um anything else was was you know technical understanding and things like that which i did develop over the years hopefully to some degree um, but I relied loads on my on my speed and my agility because that's I could get past anyone purely on that. So I just probably neglected um, other aspects of my game. So I think that's a really important point. Um, you will not have all the all the physical attributes. We don't own all the physical attributes. You'll have your own strength areas. Um, depending on, I know we haven't got an age on this player. So with an older player, there's now. Um, there could now be an emphasis on okay well you're maybe smaller so how do you get stronger and faster and more agile maybe there's more of a focus on what you can do physically um to make the most of your strength areas or overcome overcome other problems that you might face in in someone that's bigger than you um with a younger player obviously you're not going to place as much emphasis on that you're not going to be getting your eight-year-old um pumping iron in the gym so there's it depending on what age we're talking about here i think that's relevant um and I think just almost how it is, a, it's a problem solving exercise, isn't it? If you're smaller than the opposition and maybe you're not as physically strong, how do you get around that? What do you need to work on? And how do you, how do you deal with that as a problem? It's not, it, sometimes it's not going to come off and other times you're going to be really chuffed with yourself if you've used, you know, really good ball control or really good skills or speed or whatever to get past those kind of players and, actually rewarding that in yourself and as a parent rewarding that as well if they're if that's sort of them solving that problem if you like well i think that's the key point you're going to learn more and it's better for your development if you've got these problems to solve and you're actively trying and having some success and some failure um, and things to to learn from rather than if your child's an early maturer and very quick and strong and the game seems to come easy to them then they're not facing these problems. Um, and then eventually when they reach a standard and an age, um, they might have a whole load of problems of their own to face when other players have caught up um, and maybe going past them to um, to work out for themselves. And then they're not, not going to be um, used to trying to problem solve because the game's been fairly easy for them up until that point. So there's problems with being small there's problems with being big um and it's it's um being aware of it and uh, like you say how can they have problems to solve um whatever their body type i guess happy jeffrey very happy yeah we're <laughs> through these today right odd number that would be me jeff <laughs> it has been said before i'm an odd number so it's uh it's appropriate my son plays for a local under nine Sunday team. A few of his friends from the team joined a Saturday team and he's expressed an interest as well. We're worried that it might be too much for him to play twice a week 
and all the training, but don't want him to fall behind the players that are playing more. Do you have any advice? I'm sure Jeffrey's got lots of it. Jeffrey. Lots of advice. <laughs> I've actually made a few notes on this, so go on. Go. No, 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 no. I asked the question. You asked Follow the question. You. I um, scribbling. I've underlined the word worried and I've underlined okay. full behind. Um and again, I'm trying to think as if I'm Betsy. I try and do that a lot now. Well, we've got to... Betsy to think like Betsy, so maybe... <laughs> trying, trying to have an open mind. Um, and should you be worried about falling behind? What, what age is this? Under nines? Possibly, maybe, I don't know. Or, or is there other things you could be doing that aren't football? Or is it, could you, I don't know how much travelling's involved of going around with this new team and you're yeah. going to be in the car for ages and get less contact time with the ball. Uh, if it was a a local team, I would say don't do loads of hours driving around in the car, chasing around. You've been reading my notes. Yeah, I, I haven't actually. <laughs> I haven't even read my own. Um, chasing around, you know, trying not to fall behind your mates. Why not go to a peasant session, get thousands of touches of the ball, lots of different movements, lots of different scenarios, um, have loads of fun and improve individually um, rather than missing out on the time. You could be sat in a car actually falling behind where you could be catching up and overtaking. Yeah, I think Betsy will be very impressed that you've um, circled fall behind because I think if that's the motivation for playing, then it's not a really fantastic one um, as, a, as a starting point for why you're considering putting your child in just so that they can not fall behind. I think what you said important about maybe playing another sport or something like that as well. Don't just throw everything in a, a, a football. Um, and then you said about the traveling time. Um, and I've written here a little bit more about the traveling time. So I've put players that play for two teams might appear to be getting ahead, but often not only gaining a bit of extra experience um, just playing one extra game. Um, you're not getting enough contact time with the ball. So to go to your traveling, I worked out here, Jeff, that if a match is 15 minutes away, which is very conservative, even in most local leagues, so it's taking you 15 minutes to get there, 15 minutes back, that's half an hour um, traveling time. That would be 50 hours a season spent traveling if you played a very conservative 25 games for each team. I think that's right. Um, so that's realistically going to be over 200 hours when, because no one's travelling 15 minutes. No one's travelling 15 minutes and nobody's only playing 25 games for each team. Normally with ups and um, tournaments and things, it's going to be a lot more than that. But even if it was just 50 hours, if you think on average, each player gets less than three minutes on the ball per game. And if we generously say that your child is going to get those full three minutes, which they won't, then um, that's only two and a half hours a season actually in contact time with the ball in those matches for 50 hours in the car. Doesn't seem worth it to me. It's the training, as I've already said, that's the most important thing. So I wouldn't worry about playing two matches at the weekend. I'd be more interested in an extra training session during the week if you really want them to excel and fulfil their development. 
or walk down the park with your mate and get thousands of touches. Yeah, or play in the garden. Yeah. Um, He's got one. Do yeah. some ball mastery, practice free kicks and things at the goal, whatever it might be. But I don't think it's the holy grail is playing Saturdays and Sundays and training four times a week with those teams that are geared up to what you, what went wrong in the last game and what you're going to do to put it right in the next game. Um, I don't think it's enough. It might well be too much. They're very powerful stats. I think we should publish them and campaign grassroots football Sundays. Grassroots football Sundays, yeah, possibly. I, I, Only. I don't like children playing, and I never have done, on a Saturday and a Sunday. Personally, I think it's too much. Um, and as I've just said with those stats, there's um, not enough gain to be made for all the negativity that can come from it. Um, but I understand children think their friends might be going across and they might be missing out. And I've never known it do anything other than cause problems in the long run, especially if there's a certain group of players that are playing for both teams. If one team's doing better than the other, yeah. the manager of one team gets a bit annoyed and players might be rested on a Saturday for a big game on a Sunday. And there might be clashes with tournaments and clashes with presentation evenings and all sorts of things. Um, I don't like it. Never have I think choose one team that you really, really like, that your child's getting everything they need and go all in on that one would be my advice. They may well start prioritising one of the training sessions over the other one as well. And that's very hard to take for the coach that's been there all along if it's not their session, isn't it? I've been on the receiving end of that once or twice. Yeah. I mean, when I ran a team, I, I said, well, if you want me to commit to you guys, then you commit to me and you don't play for another team. So I was a bit harsh with it and um, wouldn't let them join another team where they could. But then if that was the case with the players, then they'd have to get another coach because I was giving up my time. Um, I had no child in the team. Um, and I thought, commit to me and I'll commit to you. Rightly or wrongly, I don't know. Um, but it worked and then as soon as I left they all went and joined Saturday teams and then they lasted one season two seasons after that before team folded um, and I think it was just because they were playing for two teams um, and different teams and sometimes they were competing with each other on one day and then they were all together on the next day and all the chat would be about the match the day before and it just I didn't like it and of course a lot of these teams will then have training sessions during the week and you find suddenly that your child's doing team training four or five times a week maybe um, and two matches at the weekend and you might have other kids to think about and there's family time and other activities um, so it's my own personal opinion I think it's too much well my opinion is the same as yours it often is Jeffrey. that's why we're friends let's see what Betsy's opinion is yeah. Oh, it's a tricky one because I I I don't know if I hundred percent agree. Good. Um, firstly, I'm not sure about your maths. Oh, okay, go on. But I think we need to brush past that. I think that's just my logical brain. But anyway, we'll 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 reassess that or leave it up for um audience debate. Um, I think I get what you're saying, and you're very much. This is where it's kind of good to have this sort of conversation because you're coming at it very much from a coach point of view and I'm thinking well th there's 
there's a lot of context that we don't know but if this is a child who wants to play like is just absolutely buzz- I've got I've got a picture of little Johnny in front of me buzzing to play wanting to play on a Saturday wanting to play as much as he can yeah I want to play with this team on a Saturday I want to play with this team on a Sunday yeah there might be extra training sessions in the week I'm just so excited I love my football I enjoy it I struggle with whether I'd want to um peg that back as a parent or a coach I think there's it's totally different if the parent is like right okay I think you need to be playing on a Saturday Johnny because these guys are playing two games a week and we really don't want you to fall behind that's totally different but I I'm struggling with the concept of and I'm I'm almost looking at probably um big high profile athletes internationally where you think you know look at Venus and Serena Williams who would have spent hours and hours and hours on the tennis court yeah every day I want to go and play tennis I want to do this I want to do that and I get what you're saying from like a coach point of view that if it's a team session there's less touches on the ball maybe less dedicated training would time be better spent um working on individual skills or having um having a kick about with mates or whatever and I I totally understand that but if it's a if it's purely from a kind of this this child's got so much passion and wants to be playing as much as possible I just think I'd struggle to to say you know I think that's not a good idea so I, I don't know if that's controversial I don't think it's controversial at all I think a lot of parents find themselves in that situation because there are parents who don't want their children to play twice in the weekend for those reasons I said they've got brothers and sisters and they like to go away for the weekend and money and things like that but they're faced with a child that really really wants to because they absolutely love playing football so mm. I do I do get it from from that point of view again I always seem to go to the negative side of things because I have to pick up pieces of negativity quite a lot so that's my kind of default option is to look at the the negative stuff that I've had to deal with in the past but yeah. I think as well what links is we've spoken several times about like identity and I would I, I totally understand what you're saying there in terms of there being siblings potentially like it then consumes all of the weekend um, and travel time is important I do think that is a that is an important factor to consider how much time your child's just spending traveling to and from games and that can end up sucking out enjoyment for them as well as for you as a parent having to ferry them around all over the place but I think um if the child maybe is playing too much football then there is that danger of that identity being solely consumed by I just play football I don't want to do anything else but it is it's such a difficult position to be in because also for for a child that actually might go on and play professional football for argument's sake that child can you even curb that enthusiasm of them wanting to play football all the time and is that is that good for some children and not for others so I think it's it's such a difficult position to be in for a parent um I don't have an I don't have an answer for that I suppose I think you have to come from a genuine place like you said and um work out what's best for everyone um look a little bit further down the road and why do they want to why do i want them to shall we facilitate it what are the pros and cons and make a a decision based on that um i expect there's players who played saturdays and sundays who 
get a lot out of it. Um, and likewise, some that it is a little bit too much for, but I'll go back to it. As long as the training's good and they're getting a lot of contact time with the ball, um, that's the important thing rather than just the matches because they're not getting enough contact time. It's not like um, a quick fix. Oh, well, we'll put them in for double matches and the kid's going to be double good by you know, playing all weekend. It's, it doesn't work like that. Um, and there's a, there's a lot more to con consider with it. Yeah, and I think you're coming with it with a context of uh, Betsy might not have seen the local grassroots football is quite kind of adultificated. What's the word I'm trying to if say? It's not a word. I like it. It should be. I like it. <laughs> so it's it's quite adult. It's not kids just playing. It's very much it looks like senior football on a Saturday or Sunday. Um, and that's when they're quite often development the development leagues or dressed up as development leagues, but it's really all about results, even at this young age, isn't it? And yeah, if the team's not winning, that's when we go back to them um holding trials and releasing players and doing all the things we talked about that we don't like. Yeah. Um so down the road, long term development wise, it might not actually be a very good thing. And players that don't tend to do this we see long-term benefits um rather than the short-term gains that cloud people's judgments for kind of 12 to 18 months and then it tends to all start breaking down a bit like the scenario you, you talked about with your team not allowing them to play on a saturday and then when they did it takes shelf life of about 12 to 18 months and then it all seems to come crumbling down doesn't it so long-term development wise I would um, have a few concerns as well because of all the things you've talked about there. Well, I, I think when I get a lot of children who drop out at 12, 13, 14 years of age, if you analyse all the things they did, connecting the dots going backwards, you probably find that they played Saturdays, Sundays, or the majority played Saturdays, Sundays, trained two, three, four times a week had one-to-one -one coaches and all the things that we don't like. And when you, every time you do one of those little things, you're adding to the risk of burnout and the enjoyment in the, the long run disappearing and then um, dropping out of the game. So you have to be careful with, with all of these decisions. It's a difficult one because I don't want to advise that, yeah, if your kid's absolutely buzzing to play with their friends on a Saturday or a different set of friends, that they shouldn't, but just be very careful of it and why does the manager want your child to play for them is it because it's going to help them win games of football um or are they generally interested in helping children develop and be the best players they can there's lots of factors involved i mean the only reason you pointed all that stuff out is because you genuinely care in that person the easy short answer would be yeah go and give it a try and find out if they like it or not and then and go from there and yeah i think my, my point with it as well just going back to something Betsy said, and she said about like um, the Williams sisters and stuff at tennis. And so I'm going to contradict myself slightly here. And um, the ice hockey players, and there are certain sports where they've specialised and they do lots and lots of training. Swimming, it's not really frowned upon for an upcoming future swimming star to be up at five in the morning, do a couple of hours before school, do a couple of hours after school every day. 
and that's not really frowned upon but then people like me when it comes to football will say oh they might be doing too much um so yeah it is a, a really tricky one and i think the parents in the best position to 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 maybe work out what's best for their child and the family i suppose the difference is that they were doing individual training in all those hours not swim meets or massive tennis tournaments twice a weekend they were getting their development in opposed to win at all costs which it always tends to be yeah i think if you were saying to me i want my child to train every night of the week but just play once at the weekend that might be different i think it's yeah. just because it's two matches and it's like as if that's going to be the answer to fulfilling their potential is just playing more and more games and it's the training that's most important and the quality of training i think the answer is what well, i've got well two things i've got out of this question is one i need to um either stop doing maths or um or get better at it uh, and see maybe children should play more futsal on one of those days of week jeff and i'm not just saying it because you're sat there but i don't think there's anything better at accelerating your child's learning and development than playing futsal just takes care of itself so if you play futsal on one day football on the other um and it might be all the boxes ticked for everybody the only thing i just add is um that sometimes and i i again i totally get what you guys are saying in terms of a training and you make a good point jeff about you know the swimming example and even a tennis example the time they are participating is probably very directly related to what their own training needs are whereas in a match situation or in team training it might not always look that way in terms of what an individual's gaining um but i was also thinking that if your child is playing or wants to play or you allow them to play on a saturday and a sunday and then also at some point they want to watch a game on the telly or they want to go to football like it's sometimes that can be a good thing in terms of actually them being super passionate and super engaged in one thing and it might be that they're just really really into football and they don't participate in other sports and actually I don't know if there's particularly a right or wrong with you know you, you wouldn't you wouldn't necessarily stop your child you know going down to St Mary's and watching their three o'clock kickoff and playing football on a Sunday because it's too much football. It's like, where's the balance between actually that that passion is is something to be encouraged and just managed appropriately for the individual, I guess. So yeah, I was just thinking that it's not just playing, is it? It's the it's everything else that might go along with that. Just just really wanting to be involved and immersed in football. I think that when we say, yeah, go for it because they're really. Um passionate about it it seems quite innocent but something we haven't mentioned is the conflicting messages they might be getting from the two teams and the two managers and the two clubs so I've seen it before where a child is a very skillful player likes to take players on so on one day they allowed to receive the ball maybe on the wing and they take players on and create chances and then they play on another day where the manager doesn't like that sort of football they want to play one and two touch um, and the child's getting conflicting messages about what they're allowed to do and what they're not allowed to do which can really confuse them and affect their development I mean I've heard of one child went to um, a Saturday club and was 
they tried some skill and was actually shouted at during the match we don't do that fancy stuff here whereas for their other team they were encouraged to try things make mistakes learn from it some completely conflicting um advice and ethos from from both sides so i've always been very wary of it that is it worth it possibly having conflicting advice and confusing your child again depending on what age it is they're 13 14 15 then they can handle this type of thing and conflict and a bit of pressure and different situation scenarios might be healthy for them a bit of stress um but if they're six seven eight nine then i think having conflicting messages from different adults that are supposed to be helping them not hindering them um can be difficult goodness we went we went full in on that one didn't we yeah it was deep i've been too footed there didn't we right we better crack on because um question number six yes hi guys i see that you're holding an elite training camp this summer are you looking forward to it and what type of things will the players be doing yes so we're holding an elite training camp this summer um i'm running it and you two are my special guests um which yes i am really really looking forward to it and we have got um andre a local um fitness coach who does a lot of football fitness coming in to help the children learn how to become match fit and do a bit of pre-season style fitness with them hopefully we're getting the goalkeeping coach um looking at one of our ex-pezzers players it's now a full-time professional to come back and have a chat with the kids so there'll be lots going on um and jeff you're our high performance skills development coach for the week aren't you so what is that going to entail um so at pezzers you've got the skill tech scheme mm -hmm. um and pezzers sessions of the school years one to six and then hopefully they graduate into wessex futsal club which is for school years seven to eleven and adults um and we've got the apex skill tech scheme um which is very similar topics um just more advanced more combos more skills put together in more challenges more yeah more challenging probably is, is a lot best way to describe it um so we've got that to work through as well as a lot of futsal based coaching sessions cool and i can't wait and betsy's coming in to uh to give a talk on one of the days i am i'm looking forward to it it's been quite a few actually you might you missed some years through covid did you but i feel like i've been uh making little cameo appearances for a few years now yes, we've done um, two, two before um and i think you were on them both weren't you and then we were due to do a third and covid ruined it and it ruined the one year after um so yeah it's been a, been a little while this is the first one since covid ruined it all yeah Matt. um as i so i think the last the last few um will had various topics i think but just sort of i guess the the headlines of sports psychology so managing pressure um you know dealing with dealing with disappointments or dealing with mistakes um growth mindset lots of different lots of different points so hopefully i'll be covering a few different things that will be helpful yeah so we're trying to sort of always base it around the fa4 corner model aren't we so that all those bases are ticked um i'm gonna throw it on you can you remind us what the four corners are jeffrey physical so yeah. you have that covered yeah 
and technical tactical which is you yeah hopefully <laughs> yeah so, um psychological which is Betsy. um what the three social social so um, so social will be my responsibility to make sure that the environment's right throughout the whole everyone's period. responsibility and, well everyone's responsibility yeah but i feel like i need to be an expert in some field and then just not oh, leave okay. it to you you're i'm very, now the social expert you're very good at the social <laughs> social side of things so yeah really looking forward to it it's um coming up in august for school years seven to school years 10 so under 11s to under 15s um and hopefully it'll be even better than the previous two that we did before yeah i can't wait cool well that was a simple question wasn't it which people could keep asking us uh ones that we actually know the answers to that'll be handy right is it I'll is it me it. yeah right cool i run an under 11 team and i've had a couple of players miss games due to being punished for their behavior away from football although i appreciate the children need discipline it can be very frustrating as we only have a small squad and I've had to change training sessions at the last minute. What are your thoughts on taking away football as a punishment? I think we should go straight into you on this one, Betsy. If you oh, straight in. Um, yeah, I read this one and uh, that is difficult because, oh, sorry, I'm um, trying to deal with a, a dog that's going to bark at any moment. So I, I'll try my best to keep this answer um concise um i think it's really difficult because you don't want to take away something that's of benefit from probably all your four corners that you just mentioned um and i would say is there anything you can do before you take away something like sport or exercise such as um computer games phones like depending on age things like that i'd i'd be reluctant um to take sport exercise extracurricular kind of activity away first even if it seems like the easy go-to that's the thing that your child's going to be most hurt with you taking away um yeah it's, it's it's a challenging one but if football is a huge motivating factor and there is some other behavioral challenges that it might be an effective way over a really short period of time to to manage that behavior so yeah i've i've gone really vague with that answer but i think in summary i would i would take something else away first if possible that is less of or has the potential to be less of a positive impact so take away computers tv time um favorite food you know like a treat food or something i don't know but i'd i'd be reluctant to take a healthy behavior away essentially yeah i i agree with this massive and it's happened to me on a few occasions when i've run teams where i've missed them from training sessions and i've missed them from um from match time and it is frustrating as a manager um and i i agree with you i think in the short term if you need a massive impact then maybe once um, then you've always got maybe that threat again in future for it but i think if you start doing it a lot it's um it's a very negative thing to get into um i've written here never take training away because as i've always tried to say it is the training that's the most important thing um 
So if you're taking training away but still letting them play in matches, you're you know subconsciously letting your child think that um, training is not as important as matches when really you want to be showing children or emphasizing to children that it's training that is the most important thing. Um, and I would say if ever you do take a match away um, as a punishment, make sure that the child still attends that match so they can see what they're missing out on. And this happened to me once. Um, a parent, as a punishment, said, my child's, oh, your dog's there. Hi, Betsy's dog. Um, a child didn't attend because they'd been naughty. Um, and then later that evening, I'd seen that they posted on Facebook that they had a great day together playing computer games and um, watching films and stuff. And I thought, well, that's not much of a punishment, is it? It would have been much more of a punishment if um, if they'd be made to come and watch the game and see what they were missing out on. And then they still had the commitment um, to support their teammates as well. What do you think, Jeffrey? Well, I haven't made notes, but I mentally remembered you saying that mm -hmm. uh, at a training session that a better punishment would be to bring the child along, make them watch see what they're missing out on and then take them home when the session was finished so that it is actually a punishment not a reward but that sounds like playing consoles with the parents and having a great time um, so i think that's a really good point that um yeah you almost use use the punishment even the participation is what you are taking away but maybe give it a different learning objective like you say i'd like that idea yeah i i think it's important so make them come along support the team because you are committed to that team um otherwise if you're just willy-nilly not turning up you're actually doing nothing but letting your teammates down really and your manager so my advice would be never take training away as a one-off maybe a match um if you really want to make an impact but i agree with you i would be very reluctant to take anything that has so much positivity involved with it um to take that away so how are we going to this is a coach of an under 11s team isn't it and it's the players that are getting taken away so yes how can they um get this message across to the parents that they're actually letting well, everyone can, else down and you can send, send them, them the podcast, send them the the podcast. <laughs> Okay. We've like double our listeners. <laughs> <laughs> um, but if if they need to, I suppose they need to um, ask for a, a word of them and just say, I've noticed you're taking um, football away as a punishment. I, I'm just wondering whether we could have a chat about that um, and explain that it's frustrating and that you've had to... When if you've only got eight in your squad or nine and you've done a training session around... 3v3s or something or a 4v4 and suddenly you have to change it last minute it can be a bit frustrating i guess and then going just sorry go on betsy i was gonna say just to play devil's advocate though there's if i was working with this coach i'd actually be thinking okay well that might happen and that's not within your control you can potentially try and influence it but actually how would you how would you deal with that if you have multiple players missing at any one time through injury or illness um you know actually from the from purely the coach perspective if they don't want to get involved with maybe passing comment to parents because if a 
gray area isn't it what uh, as to whether you're gonna say you know I'd suggest you maybe parent differently uh, which is perhaps how a parent's gonna hear it um then then actually it's just from the coach point of view it being an uncontrollable factor um you could you could perhaps depending on age of players and whether this is appropriate speak to players and say look if you um if you're conducting yourself poorly away from football then then perhaps you're going to get this taken away from you at some point um as an attempt to i guess use football as a coach to um i guess in, enhance enhance other forms of behavior and other you know that's why we love sport isn't it because it's not just about the sport it's about kind of teamwork and again it, it there'll be an age appropriateness of this but whether it's a case of you know if you if you behave poorly and then your parents pull you from the game then you've let your teammates down you know that might sound really savage so <laughs> there's there's a difference i guess between age groups there and whether that's appropriate but there might be other learnings to go on there if that makes sense yeah i i agree you do have to be very careful telling parents that perhaps they should be doing something a bit different it's um dodgy ground isn't it when it's parenting and your your job is just to facilitate their football so then tell them how to be a parent is and disciplines very very difficult so that that is tricky um it'd be nice if they could give something back to the coach wouldn't it so they've let the coach down could they then turn up early and help mark the pitch out and put the nets on and and do all the things that that coach is probably annoyed that they have to do on their own every Sunday morning in the cold or in the rain and um, wash some bibs and wash some kit and hang it out on the line and actually it would then mm. maybe give those children that are letting them down and the teammates down a little bit, a bit perspective about just how much other people do do for them and the knock-on effect it does do and that might be enough to help shape their behaviours. Well, the kids could just stop being naughty, it'd be great, wouldn't it? <laughs> you know I'm actually just thinking of my own son because he, <laughs> he, he can be a little terror had he plays for Jeff's team I've um I've not pulled him out yet no he's not missed football yet but if you could have a word that'd be great don't worry about sending him early <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay yeah don't make him wash the kit or anything so I'm not sure but um but yeah it's um it's a tricky one um, as we've said with pretty much all of these questions tonight, and we it's a tricky one. But um I think what you said, trying to get some sort of positive out of it where maybe you can reinforce good behaviour to the whole group, um I think uh it is a good idea. Oof. And you you ever sent that in, then uh let's know how that goes. Good luck. Yeah, good luck. Is it you? I know. Is it about is no. it about my Josh? No. Are you sure? Yes. Right, okay. Um how are we doing for time? We've got enough for one more, do you think? Should we go question number eight? That'd be... That'd be me. That'd be you. I recently read um, that there's not much point practising penalties and free kicks uh, as the same pressure can't be replicated in practice. This is such a Betsy question. Do you think that's true? And I'm my brief notes I've already said earlier in a different question about practice breeding competence and competence breeding confidence so go on betsy i've written competence oh. breeds confidence as well jess so go on betsy go on betsy <laughs> so i i think 
um, there is truth in it being difficult to replicate the same amount of pressure. You cannot replicate the same context. So if I'm working with um, a player that's going to play in an FA Cup final and I'm saying, oh, you know, in training today, we're basically going to put you in the situation of scoring a last minute penalty that's going to win you the FA Cup, that I can't replicate that context. But what you can do, you can replicate um, as many conditions as possible and you can, um, in terms of the technique, and the decision-making process, that's what you can replicate. So if we take a penalty as an example, um, you can replicate what the player's pre-penalty routine is. I'm gonna move away because I don't know if you can hear my puppy squeaking her toy, <laughs> which is a slight distraction. Um, so you can practice um, the, the routine that a player has before they take a penalty, you can practice obviously the actual technique of a penalty kick. Um, you you can mimic pressure. So when I've done this actually in a in a elite setting, I have I, I can recall an example actually which might be interesting where I observed before a um, it was before a cup competition, and at the end of the training session, the coach put all the players um, in the middle of the pitch and said, right, penalty shootout then, this is how it's going to work. He was acting as referee and they were numbered. You know, you're going to be penalty taker number one. This, these are the teams, et cetera, et cetera. Lovely jubbly. So they go up, the first guy comes up and takes his penalty. Um, I can't remember whether he scored or missed. Scored, I think, but that's kind of irrelevant. I'm watching this training session go on and I'm thinking, okay, you've got all of these players stood basically in the centre circle, messing around, doing keepy-uppies, keep chatting to each other, milling around, and then each one by one in their order, they're going up and taking their penalties. So I ran over to the coach and I said, this is, you, you, this is not replicating what would happen. So what you can do to replicate is stop the session. So he stopped the session and... Um, I basically said, look, none of you guys are doing what you would do in a penalty shootout. You would not be stood there doing any of this stuff. You would be, what are you actually going to do as a team? Are you going to line up? Are you going to link arms? Are you going to, what are you going to do? Because you need to do that now. That's the point of trying to replicate as much as you possibly can so that that situation doesn't feel so alien when it happens. Um, and I've done that twice in two different Premier League academies where I've, uh, one of them actually, I, it, we were in a classroom and I said, all of you stand up, go to the back of the room and, and show me how you're going to line up for a penalty shootout. And they were all really impressed and weren't really sure what to do. And, and I just made a point of saying this is a really important aspect of your match prep. Like there may be a penalty shootout. What are you going to do? Are you standing as a group? Are you linking arms? Are you standing with your hands behind your back? Like what are you actually going to do? Um, because then you can you can also visualise how that's going to how that's going to play out pre-match. So that's an example of that is purposeful practice for that kind of context yes you can't bring in twenty thousand people into the training ground and practice penalties or make a player feel like it's going to be a match winning situation but there is things you can do and as a coach there's things you can do to um create or mimic a little bit of pressure um in a in a player so um i'm, I'm probably going to bore everyone if I go into the ins and outs of that but for example um 
you know, it being a competitive, I think in this particular session, the losing team had to had to get everyone's lunch, like had to, you know, queue up and play everyone up their lunch at request and, and basically wait on them for the rest of the day. So there was something on it. And that can be um, a humorous element or not, but the, the fact bringing an element of competition creates an aspect of, of pressure. Yeah, I have been in that situation myself. When I was at Charlton Athletic, I actually had to um, play against another member of staff because um, Alan Pardew said that only one of us would be allowed to go to Marbella with the team. Uh, Nicky Weaver in goal, Man City legend. Um, and I lost. So, uh, so yeah. But um, bless him, he, he let us both go anyway. But it was great. They had all the coaching staff and all the first team players around watching. And yeah, it is very difficult to replicate pressure. It does funny things to you. I changed my mind when I decided I was going to go one way and then the other. And yeah, it, it can... Uh, can do things to you and it is difficult to replicate the 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 pressure um i mean i've seen ideas um when i was involved in pro football of um academy teams having penalty shootouts at the end of their matches to try and put some pressure on it um i've heard ideas of trying to get sort of under 23 teams to the grounds at half time of first team matches when there's a lot of people in there and having penalty shootout there so they can get used to the walk in front of the crowd and i saw there's a pre-season friendly just last week i think it was between two premier league teams playing abroad i can't remember who it was and i think they had a, a penalty shootout at the end was it arsenal did arsenal lose to man united or something like that i think they might have done in a friendly and then they had a um a penalty shootout at the end so they are trying to think of ways of replicating this pressure um, but the players have to be on board with that as well because sometimes they think, oh, it's only a penalty I can score from 12 yards and they can be, dare I say, a little bit arrogant about it at the pro level. And, and then when it does come to the crunch, it can do, do funny things to you. Um, but they said free kicks here as well, didn't they? Did you say free kicks and penalties? Yeah, I mean, Beckham practised them all the time, didn't he? Free kicks. Um, James Ward-Prowse practised them all the time. And if I'm going to have a player take a penalty... For my team or a free kick, I'm gonna have more confidence in one that's practiced them a thousand times than someone who hasn't bothered and thinks they're naturally talented. So I don't think it can do any harm to become technically proficient through repetition and practice. And I, I wrote here, if you do that, you're earning the right through practice to give yourself the best possible chance for success when it really matters, um, which is all you can do really. I think as well with free kicks, there's free kicks are slightly different to penalties because penalties are very fixed. They are from the same distance. Um, yeah. And yes, you, you've got a different keeper potentially, but the rest of it is up to, is, is a closed skill. So there's not a lot else that changes in terms of the actual skill ex execution, the execution of, of the penalty. A free kick, however, is, is not often going to be in exactly the same place. So, um, physical practice takes on a bit of a different meaning there because you've got that it's it's more open okay there's not it's not in open play but there's going to be lots of different angles distances and conditions um and also as much as there is a specified distance you know referees are going to vary as well with how that's marked out there's a there's a little bit more going on with the free kick so so practicing free kicks there's there's definitely value in in practicing everything but yeah free kicks being slightly different 
yeah, not to the detriment of practice in other areas of the game. If, if you're talking about a nine or ten year old that's very one footed, I wouldn't waste time banging in penalties and free kicks when you could be spending that time working on your your weaker foot um, and, and getting something that's going to be more impactful for your for your all round game. But if you're a little bit older, 14, 15, 16 and beyond, and you know you're at a technical level already, and and free kicks is going to be your thing, then yeah maybe spend the time after training or in the garden, wherever it might be, down the park. Just like Beckham did all those years ago, scored one of the most famous free kicks of all time for England against Greece to qualify us for the, I think it was the 2002 World Cup at Old Trafford. Last minute, banged it in. I don't think you'd have done that if you hadn't spent all those years practising. So, as you said, Jeff, competence breeds confidence and you get competence through purposeful practice. Are we all happy? Very. Good. I think we've done all right for our first remote one. It went well. Um, the, I, I, hopefully you haven't heard too much dog fighting or toy squeaking or any of the above <laughs> during that. It's all part of it. <laughs> I didn't actually Got hear the charm. Probably when we listen back to it, we will. Who knows? Didn't hear a squeak. On that note, please. Witty banter, I think we should leave it there. And as always, never forget, football is not that important, but children are. And uh, we'll all see you next time. Thanks, guys.